What's up, bitches? Welcome back to Fan Zone. Uh, Caleb, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, Coho, on a daily basis, uh, but I'm back. You know why? They asked. Uh, we got a good one here today. Uh, we got Nick and Barr. Uh, having seen both of them play uh, and debate, both are scary motherfuckers, uh, but we'll get to them in a minute. First, we're going to talk to the sexy people on the top row, starting with the big Canadian boss, man, my timer, my judge today, Brooklyn how you doing? Uh, we're doing dandy. It's, it's great out, uh, and it's good to see uh, Nick and Andrew. I believe this is technically my fan zone debut, uh, so it, it is good that we are no longer associated with, uh, with that other word, so yeah. You know, nerdgasm is not a dirty word. Okay. Uh, we're gonna go. We'll go over to our our, our other judge on uh, the uh, Bob the Nut Parker. How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing lovely. I already have Tim written on my board for my. Oh wait, <laughs> not in this one. Uh, give me. I'm doing great. Just give me a second. Yeah, I'm excited to host to, to to judge here today. Yeah, I forgot Tim's not playing. Tim's going to have more points than both of us combined, apparently. <laughs> Tim has already got the first point. That's <laughs> uh, but what we've got is uh, Nick Tuig and Andrew Barr here with us today debating. It's going to be a good one. Uh, we'll talk to our fighters today, uh, starting with uh, the star of uh, films such as Creep 2 and The Upside, Andrew James Barr. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, I've been super busy from uh, shooting movies. Uh, I decided to take a break and uh, fight with my good buddy, Nick. Uh, this is, I'm so happy that Nick is the person I'm playing because I, I can't wait because this is going to be so much fun. Uh, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Nick, we'll talk over to the uh, the double belted bearded one himself, Nick, the name New uh, Tuig. Uh, how you doing? You ready to debate Mr. Barr today? I am. Uh, that reference went over my head. Is Barr like in those movies? Yes, he is. Yes, I am. Is that for real? Well, I'm, I'm extra. Yeah, I was an extra in both of those. Well, I'm screwed today. This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, you both have been here before. People who are tuning in probably know how this works. But for anyone who is new, I'll explain it to you anyway. How this works is there are four prepped rounds of debate. Each debater, debater is going to get one minute openings and one minute closings and five minutes of free form sandwiched in the middle. Uh, and should we get to the end of those? There will be a round of how that works when we get to it. But your first question today is coming from the realm of fandom Oscars, a place that uh, I visit quite frequently. Uh, and your debate topic is, what is the best fandom performance to be nominated for an Oscar? Best fandom performance to be nominated for an Oscar. So uh, we will start with Mr. Barr on this one. One minute time begins uh, when you start talking. The best, uh, the best performance in a fandom movie to be nominated for an Oscar actually won the Oscar, and it was for Best Actress. Uh, that would be Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins. This is a fantastic performance. It's a very understated performance, but there's a lot going on beneath the surface, and that's what a really good performance has. It's that underneath that subtext that is absolutely brimming with a from an excellent performance from Mr. Andrews. Uh, it is a performance that many people still hold in very high regard, even after uh, it, the length that uh, since it's been out since the 60s. Uh, people still talk about that to this day after all that time. 
Uh, and I'm going to go more into detail about that after Nick, uh, after Nick goes. I yield my time. All right. So we'll bring in Nick Tuig. What is the best fandom performance nominee for an Academy Award? Your time begins when you start talking. Well, fandom Oscars being the great category that it is, it just gave us so many performances to choose from. Uh, so I picked uh, one of the best performances, uh, I think, ever, personally. A lot of people would disagree, but uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker um, is not only a great performance, it's, it's an iconic performance uh, in what he was able to do with that character. I'm going to start off by saying some hot takes. Mary Poppins and its sequel are boring and not good. And Julie Andrews, I, I think she's a fine actress in general, uh, but I do not think Mary Poppins is a performance that, that should have held up the way it has um, and, and should be talking about the way this talked about today. I think Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger was able to create a totally unique, um, awesome character um, with, so, with, with different levels of his own. Um, makes the audience feel so many different types of ways about him, which I think is the greatness of that performance. Um, and I will yield a little bit less time, but some, some about three seconds. All right. Time has been yielded. Uh, we'll go ahead. We'll bring you both in five minutes. Freeform, gentlemen. No filibuster. Don't make me come in here and yell at you. Uh, so five minutes when you guys start talking. You said a unique, awesome character? I'm sorry, Heath Ledger has had years, decades of other Jokers to base his performance off of. And in fact, I think that it's a culmination of all of those. You, Julie Andrews had nothing to go off of when it comes to Mary Poppins. She had to build this performance and this character herself, aside from the books. That's all she had. Um, which Joker is he based off of? Because if it's all of them, that's a unique combination of a lot of different people. Which, when you think about it, isn't every person just that unique combination of a bunch of different people who they met along the way? The fact is, there was no Joker like Heath Ledger's Joker. It was so different that it it, it got nominated for an Oscar. That it that it was so good. I'm sorry. You say she has the books. She does have the books. She's also based off of a person. There's a whole movie called Saving Mr. Banks about a person that, that Mary Poppins was able to base her performance off of. And at the end of the day, she's just a British nanny. You said understated, and I'd love to. I'd love for you to go into some of what those understated tones are, because I don't really see them. She's kind of, for me, she's kind of unlikable, and she's just a person who gets the kids to do, to behave better, and, and she sings. But I, I don't see anything really beyond that. Let's talk about uh, the, the idea of uh, the fact that Hamill... Uh, he uh, blah, blah, blah. Ledger had the laugh of Hamill, the witty, like jokey side of Nicholson, and a bunch of other years of Jokers to go off of. But you also bring up the idea of, well, she had someone in real life to go off of. She didn't know this person in real life. Julie Andrews never met her. She met the person who knew her, but like that's not the same as knowing the actual person. And she had to balance the idea of, like, she had to be restraint, she had to be charming, but she also had to be stern. She had a level of sophistication about herself, that she was there because she knew that this family was breaking apart, and she was there to be the glue that brings them back together. But she's not just straightforward and be like, hey, you, you're fucked. You're fucked up. You need to know what to do. It's not that. It, it's very subtle. Like when she's gaslighting the kids, in a sense, she's like, how did you do that? Do what? 
there's a lot going on underneath that performance that I don't think that I don't think that Ledger did the exact same. I, I think he did almost the opposite. The fact that all these performances came before, I think makes Ledger's performance even more impressive because he had to not be that. He had to do this character that had been done so many times and find a new way to do it. And he did it. He makes you think he's smart enough to get the entire mob on his side, but also crazy enough to blow up a hospital and put two bombs on a boat. Like, like the fact, the fact that a character like Ledger's Joker got so far in the Dark Knight as, as he did is because he really had to toe that line between crazy enough to be a villain and intelligent enough to get all the other villains on his side before he's smart enough even still to screw them over. Um, it, it, and it's that sort of line that he toes that makes the audience both like him and fear him. So just because she didn't know the person and, and just because a person knows a person, like I think biopic performances are still really good. Like that doesn't make them bad. But the fact is she had another person saying, hey, uh, this person you're playing, she was like this, and she talked like this, and she walked like this. Like it's not as impressive when you really think about it. Well, here's something else to think about: the fact that Joaquin Phoenix did the same character essentially, and I think actually did a better job with that character, with that idea of that character, whereas no one's been able to do. And there's like a lot of people like do impressions of the Joker and everyone every once in a while is like, oh, it's a good impression. Nobody ever does a good Mary Poppins except for Julie Andrews. I know that you're going to point out Emily Blunt, but she's not, but she's not as stern. You always know what she's going to do where you don't know what she's going to do with Julie Andrews performance. Plus Julie Andrews had to sing and act at the same time, which as a, which as a musical theater actor is not always the easiest thing to do to convey emotions and the ideas of a person through song. It's an incredibly hard thing to do, and she does it immaculately. So I agree it's not the easiest thing, but as a, as a singer myself, you feel more emotional when you're singing. I think that lets you bring out your emotions more, and it's actually easier, and in that case, it's less impressive. If we're talking about Stern, why didn't Tommy Lee Jones play Mary Poppins? <laughs> like, it's not that hard to play Stern. I mean, I'm not an actor, so it's very hard to do all of these things. Uh, for me personally, but I don't think it's that hard to play stern. Uh, you bring up, I was glad you brought up Joaquin Phoenix, and I'll talk about it in my closing because I thought you were going to pick Joaquin Phoenix. But the fact is, Joaquin Phoenix is a different character, and he's the lead of that movie. Heath Ledger is the standout with being the side character. All right, time. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll get into closings. Uh, starting with Nick, you'll go first one minute when you start talking. Heath Ledger does so many things uh, in The Dark Knight. He he brings out the fear when he's holding um, the knife to people and telling the story about how he got the scars. He has so many quotable lines. He has so many moments where he brings out different sides of his character being crazy, but also being intelligent. It's such a duality in a character that shouldn't work, but it does because Heath Ledger's performance is so great. Emily Blunt did come along, and guess what? She kind of did the same performance. Mary Poppins is really not that under... You say understated, you say subtle. I haven't heard anything as to why it's understated. Like, what's under Underneath, besides being stern and wanting the kids to be better kids. Yes, the story is cool that she fixes the family and that's why she comes along. I actually think it's a really well-written story. I don't think the movie holds up and I don't think the character is really all that interesting um, or that difficult to play, which is the whole point of the question is what performance stands out better. I think that's why Heath Ledger's is more perform more better or Wow, just better because he had he had to make it different from all the things that came before him, whereas literally um, Julie Andrews had the playbook. She she had everything to go off. Of. All right, time. 
we will go over to uh, Mr. Barr. Uh, one minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking. The greatness of Julie Andrews' performance as Mary Poppins is you do not know what you were going to get every time that she came on screen. You kind of had an idea of what was going on, like how Heath Ledger was going to perform the Joker with every other scene that he was in. You brought up the idea of liking and fearing the Joker. You like and fear Mary Poppins as well because she's very nice at some points with a spoonful of sugar, but then you have no idea what she's going to do when she's pulling out all of these like magic tricks and things like that and gaslighting the children. She's completely unpredictable, and it's a lot harder to do the way that she did it with subtlety and restraint. She's charming when she's uh, interacting with Bert. She's very stern when she's talking to Mr. Banks. And the, the feed the bird scenes alone, the way that she's just so endearing and she's basically teaching the children a lesson through a song, it's, all, it's not very easy to do and only a very, very talented actress can do it in a performance of the ages since the 60s. Time. All right. So we'll go ahead and we will bring in our uh, lovely judges. Uh, we have our special boards. Our special um, zone issued board uh, to have <laughs> this was, I think this is a great fight. I, I think both of you guys are great. I'll go ahead and start. Um, I'm voting for Nick. Uh, I think he did a good job of um, explaining why Heath Ledger's Joker was different from other incarnations and also attacking why Julie Andrews' performance, uh, like, bar on how he won't bring up what the subtleties were or didn't really get a chance to talk about because he'll keep hammering on about it. So, uh, slight, slight uh, edge to Nick. Uh, Brooklyn, where are you leaning and why? I think Nick had this from about 30 seconds into the match, uh, really sort of controlled, controlled the pace and left a lot of things that Andrew really didn't answer. Uh, and I just think uh, Andrew's defense of what Nick was trying to do just wasn't successful. So... All right, so Nick will get the first point. Robert, who would you have voted for and why? I disagree with both of you. I think Barr had this one. Uh, I think that uh, whenever Nick challenged Barr to bring up a different point, he did do it. I think he defended that really well, especially in his closing when Nick was like, oh, explain the subtleties. And then Nick, or excuse me, Barr went step by step through all of the different range of emotions from like five or six different specific examples from scenes. Uh, I thought that, I thought when Nick was winning through most of it, and then uh, he would throw out a challenge and Barr rose to it and actually had an excellent closing. So Barr's closing one for me. All right. Uh, well, Nick is getting the point as on the second question in our uh, prep debates, which is in the world of actors and actresses, specifically the man, the myth, the legend, William Tyrell Farrell. Uh, and your your question uh, today, folks, is uh, what is the most quotable Will Farrell movie? So Mr. Tuig, you'll be going first on this one. Uh, time begins one minute when you start talking. Uh I don't know. Is that his full name? Someone fact check that. Um, I'm very excited for this question. Uh, I think we picked two of the three correct answers. Um, and I could spend this whole time giving you quotes from Step Brothers. Um, and Bark could spend the whole time giving you quotes from Anchorman. But the thing is, what makes, what pushes Step Brothers over the edge is the situations you find yourself in where you can use. The quotes. Uh, it, it's more quoted by people who've never even seen the movie. The freaking Catalina wine mixer. Um, there, there, there's just there's so many quotes. I'm probably not going to use my whole time here because um, I don't want to just sit here and rattle off quotes. 
Um, but I, I think the situation of stepbrothers or having another person, a man having another man uh, who they can relate to for the first time, did we just become best friends? I think those sort of situations are more applicable for the quotes than you find in Anchorman, which has some great moments and some great quotes, but you, you don't hear them as often because they don't come up in regular life and people who haven't seen the movie won't use those quotes. All right, time. Uh, all right, so we'll go over to uh, Mr. Barr. One minute for your opening time begins when you start talking. Nick is right. We did pick two out of the three best uh, choices for this. Uh, he picked the third best. I picked the first best, which is Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. He's also right about the fact that uh, the quoting uh, is it, – it, it's more important about the situations that you can use them in. And my movie covers a whole mother-loving mother range of emotions that you and situations that you can insert these – quotes into it's kind of astonishing the range of uh uses that these quotes can be fit into uh but i'm also going to defer the rest of my time so we can just fight and butt heads so this is yeah get ready folks all right uh i don't know how much time was conceded brooklyn but we can talk about that later uh maybe that's a record all right uh, <laughs> is it really john william farrell is that I don't know. I like William Tyrell, but sure. Uh, apparently that is correct. I'm getting the thumbs up. All right, five minutes, freeform debate, when you start talking. First of all, Barr, if your movie is the most quotable movie, why don't you just recite the whole movie right now? I mean, I'm kind of a big deal, so I can do that if you want to. That was a but, but you tossed it over to me, so let me start. Uh you were right about like the the quotability. It depends on the usability of these in modern uh, everyday situations. Uh, for me, I think that there's a lot more here for Anchorman. Let's say that some uh, you're having a really emotional moment. I'm in a glass case of emotion. I've heard that so many, so many times in just my everyday life. And especially when people are fighting, the amount of times I hear, you look like a blueberry, or why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? I used, I hear these every day in just like my everyday life. I don't, the, aside from the Catalina wine mixer line and the we've become best friends, I can't think of a single line. I've seen the movie twice now. I just watched it again recently. I, these lines don't stick with me. There's so much room for activities though. That's great. That's from the movie and you know that. Don't, don't you lie to me. Um, Listen, I, I, I think the setting of Anchorman makes those quotes a little more difficult to come up because you use quotes from movies with your friends. You use quotes from movies with, with the people around you who either get them or don't. And, and the fact is that the, the situation that Step Brothers finds you in, where you have another person who you become friends with, and you can use quotes like that to describe your friendship. You know, when they make the bunk beds and they say there's so much room for activities, um, when they just become best friends. Like, there, there really are so many quotes uh, from Step Brothers, um, and I don't think there's as many from Anchorman. Well, here's the thing. The guys in Anchorman are friends, too. It's not just these four guys that just happen to work at the same place. They're friends, too. So I, yes, absolutely will use these with my friends. But I also hear other people that I'm not friends with use this dialogue. It's, it's not just a group of friends being able to say something together. It's the whole world being able to do it. Like, come on. There's not one time where somebody slips on a word and goes, Jesus Christ. You know they, they read everything on that teleprompter? Like, what? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> that was a weird one. <laughs> 
But I've used that multiple times when people are fumbling over the words. Hell, I do it all the time and people use it against me. It's not, it's not something that it's just you and your friends. It's the whole world can use. The, the teleprompter one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but so there's the line from Step Brothers that's it's so funny. Last time I heard that, I fell off my dinosaur. That's literally what you use with your friend when your friend tells a joke that doesn't land. I've it, never heard my friends use that line. What? I've never heard my friends use that line. Okay, well, I've never heard my friends use the lines you're saying. So that's a really sort of moot False. point. Cody uses it all the time. Well, <laughs> it's a moot point that we're both sort of trying to use. So um, I, I don't think that's going to work. I think what works more is, is the fact that, like I said, Step Brothers, the, the movie is, is a scenario. The, Anchorman is based off 70s news and cameraman. The movie's kind of dated. Yes, it's a comedy and it's sort of poking fun at it. But those situations don't show up in everyday life just because your friends use it and just because my friends use mine. That doesn't make them make it a more quotable thing. But the fact is the situation of meeting a new person who is exactly like you, who you butt heads with at first, but eventually become best friends is a much more applicable situation. I went to college and we had a, there was a party every year called the freaking Catalina wine mixer. More than 70% of those college students had never even seen stepbrothers. And to get into the party, you had to say it's the freaking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> Okay, cool. You have the Catalina wine mixer, and like I've already brought up the fact that that one is used all the time. Like, like the whole movie. Like, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, when you're hitting on someone, you can use the. Uh, I have a bunch of leather-bound books in my apartment. Smells of rich mahogany. Come on, like you use that on a girl, and she knows that movie. She is yours. She is dying laughing. I mean, just because Anchorman is set in the seventies doesn't mean it's dated. It's very modernistic dialogue for a movie set in the seventies. I don't, I don't, I don't think the mahogany line will, will work. But, but if it, it works, if it does, let me. Know. <laughs> um, gosh, um, it's okay that mine's not movie quality. Is something you say when you have something that is less good as your friends? It's. Like I, I've heard it, especially around this community, I, I've heard Step Brothers quoted way more often than Anchorman. And and yes, they both have very good quotes. We are talking about Talladega Nights as the other one, right? Of course. Okay, good. Um. So anyway, mine's mine's first. Um. I think Anchorman is second to give you some credit, and and Talladega would be third. And we can finish in the quote. All right, time. Uh. So. Uh, we will go ahead and start with closings with Mr. Barr. One minute for your closing time begins when you start talking. Wow, that was a that was a tense fight. You could say, "Boy, that escalated quickly." I mean, I didn't kill a guy with a trident, but I may still want to visit some relatives and lay low for a while after murdering Nick the way I just did in that fight. Um, look, just because something is set in the seventies does not mean that it's dated dialogue. The I have heard the. Uh, quotes from Anchorman used so often. I have given you so many examples of quotes and like snappy, fun dialogue from that movie. All I heard from Nick was Catalina Wine. I heard like maybe three quotes from Nick's argument in this match. And three quotes does not make your movie the most quotable movie. So honestly, I will quote Anchorman till the day I die. I will still remember those lines word for word verbatim. And I still use those to this day. I'm not going to use the dialogue from Step Brothers because it's only people only find it funny because they're shouting it. All right, uh, we'll go over to Mr. Tuig. One minute for your closing time against when we start talking. 
So since Barr clearly just went on the script of Anchorman and thinks that reading off quotes is the way to go, uh, I'm going to fill a pillowcase full of soap, bar, soap bars and beat the shit out of you. You keep your liver-spotted hands off my beautiful mother. She's a saint. Dad, it's Shark Week. Um, you're waking the neighbors. Be quiet. He's going to eat your dick like Kobayashi. There's a whole lot of quotes, but I said at the beginning, I don't just want to sit here and rattle off quotes. My point is the situation that Step Brothers quotes can be used in are more plentiful than the ones from Anchorman because the movie is dated and it's not about situations you find yourself in. The, the people might be friends, but you only name quotes from Will Ferrell. I gave you ones from both Will Ferrell and both John C. Riley. If you said your situation is about all the friends uh, in Anchorman sitting together, that's a pretty lame friendship when one person just sits there saying all the cool lines and the other three sit back and don't get in. Okay, Brooklyn, how are you doing? All right. I think you can see this time. Uh, all right. So, I love um, the pose. The, the pose was great. The pose was a great way to go. We'll, uh, go ahead and we'll get into uh, decision-making time starting uh, with Robert, since your work didn't count last time. Where are you leaning in? Why? I didn't write it down yet because I'm still thinking. Okay. Uh, Give us some time <laughs> to think, why don't you? Oh, no. Oh, oh dear. Oh, sure. Oh, all right. Um, we'll, we'll go to... No, no. I, okay, go ahead. Uh, so I think that this was a weird argument, right? Because you don't just want to rattle off quotes, and it's super subjective to just say, well, I hear these quotes more often, so mine's more quotable. Like, you have to kind of take your own personal, like, which ones do I personally hear more out of it when you're, like, trying to judge, like, how they debated. Um, but if we're going to go based on how they debated, I think I still have to give this one to Barr. I think the digs that Nick made were all very well countered. One of the biggest digs was, you don't find yourself in those situations. And then Barr was like, well, if you're very emotional, if you're having an argument, if some then escalated quickly like he kind of rattled off a couple situations and then he said it's dated and bar kind of showed why it's not dated it's very modern in, in its dialogue so uh as far as the the counter arguments i think i have to give this one to bar just on the way they debated although i do hear quotes from both of these movies a lot so i'll go ahead next uh two also voting for andrew james bar uh i think bar did a great job of countering uh, the shots to it took Adam, uh, and Tuig's argument was really strong, but I think Barr was able to sort of juke around any uh, punches that Tuig threw at him uh, and still deliver strong uh, shots in return. I think we have a moment of the year for Fanzo when he uses the quote to just skewer Tuig uh, in the beginning of his closing. That was kind of wild. Uh, so Barr's getting that point. With I love that you, Nick. Where no, you? It's my turn to disagree. I would have went with Nick. Uh, I think Nick sealed it in the closing. Uh, he He caught enough of the place where I was like, okay, this is actually a really interesting point where he's like, well, Andrew just used quotes from Will Ferrell. And he also used where it's like, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of friends. And I think that was really sort of like the eye opening as to like, that's the big hole in his entire argument. Uh, so yeah, I would want to think. All right. Well, uh, it is one, one in favor of none. This is what we play tie game. Uh, as we get into the third question, uh, which comes from the world of uh, movies I don't watch, classics. Uh, and your question. Uh, <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to go home. Uh, your question is, what classic film does not hold up the most today? What classic film does not hold up the most today? We will start with Mr. Bar Woman for your opening time begins when you start talking. <sighs> Let's talk about quite possibly the ugliest film ever made. Um, and I'm not talking about just like, you know, the, the cinematography itself. Um, we're going to talk about The Birth of a Nation. 
this is a very hard movie to talk about because it glorifies the Confederacy and of the Civil War and the KKK. Um, it's it's going to be a very it's a disgusting movie to be very completely honest with you. Uh, it's not a movie where you can cut something out entirely and the rest of the movie would be fine. No, the, the entire movie, this three-hour movie uh, glorifying the Confederacy and the KKK, I should add, um, it's, it's, very, it's a very sore and touchy subject that um, may have been a big hit in its time in the 1915, uh, but not in today's time. It's really aged like milk. All right. Uh, time. Uh, all right. Uh, bar taking birth of a nation. Nick, uh, where, where are you taking and why? That aged like milk line was, was pretty funny. Uh, okay. That didn't count. Uh, yes. Racism, bad. KKK, bad. All of that. Yes. Um, couldn't agree more. The word dated sort of means that a movie has outlived its purpose. Now, I, 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 I want to stress that throughout this entire argument, I will not be for the ideas presented in A Birth of a Nation. But The Birth of a Nation had a purpose. Up through the 60s, it was like the number one movie, which is terrifying. After the 60s, and, and maybe a little bit later in the 60s, it developed a new purpose. Unlike my movie, which Breakfast at Tiffany's had a purpose uh, in 1961, um, and it outlived its purpose, or it didn't, its purpose is gone. It doesn't have one anymore because the ideas depicted in that movie are not the way we see things anymore, and that young girls still idolize Audrey Hepburn for the character she was and not the character she is. Time. All right. We'll go into the five round. Okay. You want to start? You want me to start? I'll start. Okay. You say that Breakfast at Tiffany's has outlived its purpose. I completely disagree. Uh, I still see people like referencing this movie, especially when it comes to Audrey Hepburn uh, and her not only her the fashion uh, that she shows. Like I see posters of her as Holly Go Lightly all the time. Uh, when I was in college, I saw it in every single dorm room. So um, but also because Holly Golightly is such an interesting character that has aged immaculately and has was enticingly developed. Uh, with Birth of a Nation, yikes! Like the characters in this are just not good. Uh, the way it's shot is pretty ugly. Um, it makes black people look like murderous, drunk, evil rapists, which. Yo, especially in today's time, that yeah, question is, does not hold up the most. And boy, does Birth of a Nation not hold up as well as Breakfast at Tiffany's. So Birth of a Nation has taken on a new purpose, as I said. It's now an educational tool. It is a movie about villains as the heroes made by villains. And the fact of the matter is, that's how the movie has to be looked at and is looked at by most people today. You say there's there's posters of, of Breakfast at Tiffany's everywhere? You're damn right, but it's posters of girls idolizing Audrey Hepburn's character who is literally taking advantage of men for their money and it's it's not the way that good moral people act today. Like she was an independent woman for the time. Today she's a prostitute because she gives people money and then it's not clear whether she like has sex with the guy she brings home. But it's, it's real shady stuff. She's a criminal, she helps 
um, the the per so the fact that she helps the mobster like like get messages out. The fact that um, there are posters everywhere shows you how dated it is because people still think this is a person to look up to, to admire, just because there's fashion in it. And guess what? Bombshell, Mickey Rooney's in this thing as an Asian person. Like, if we want to talk about racism, that's also very bad. And the fact is, that that's, was even more recent. That's one person. Yeah, but that's it's still, one it's person in a movie with thousands of people in blackface. Right. But the fact is, no one's looking at the people in blackface as like, oh, these are characters who serve a purpose. They're looking at it in its time period because it is now a piece of history and a time capsule. No one is looking at it as the best movie in America anymore. Its purpose. There are. There are other D.W. Griffith films that you could use as educational tools other than The Birth of a Nation. You can use Intolerance. Intolerance is this grand, sweeping epic with right. immaculate editing and and really good storytelling, which is what people use for Birth of a Nation to teach. You have Intolerance right there, which has aged so much better. And you said, and you talked about Holly Golightly not being a good person. Just because you're not a good person doesn't mean that we can't root for you. Look at The Godfather and look at things like that. Yes, she's a criminal, but she grows and she learns in the movie. She's not like that throughout the entirety of the movie. She's a very well-developed character. And by the end, she realizes that she's not this great person. She knows that she's not. So, no, the movie stated, I think Mickey Rooney alone should is what makes this movie dated. But the fact is the themes behind it and the reason we saw. Audrey so you have one thing that makes your movie dated. Sorry? So you have one thing that makes your movie dated. No, no, no. I have many things. I said Mickey Rooney alone would do it, but there are so many other things. Like the guy she falls in love with is literally using her as a tool to get an apartment. Like these are bad people. And the reason it's dated is because when it was made, these were good people acting independently. That's not true at all. Yes, it is. And, and Birth of a Nation, why deny? Like I, I'm sick of the, the, the trope of denying the past. This evil happened, and this is the most evil the world has been. Or maybe. I don't know. I don't know the whole history of the world, but it's a very evil time in the world. And the fact is, using this to show just how evil it is, is essential today. Because if we don't know the lessons from the past, we're doomed to repeat them. You can show how evil something is without actually glorifying it. Look at films like Mississippi Burning or 12 Years a Slave. Right. Those show the evils of the American past without glorifying it like right. the birth of a nation does. But the fact is you have to know that there were people alive who did glorify it. And you show it in, con in an educational context. And that movie is still talked about over 100 years later because its purpose has changed. It's not dated in the sense that we still think it, it did what it, we still think like it's it served the purpose that it if did back then. If we still show it today, that we can accidentally influence young people into a way that we're not trying to influence them by showing that movie that way. Right, but you're not showing this movie to young people, just like you're not showing Breakfast at Tiffany's. You, show, you talk about colleges showing it. Time. All right. We're going to go ahead and go into closings, uh, starting one minute with Mr. Tuig. Uh, time begins when you start talking. I meant showing it to young people like children. Showing it in a college setting, in a college classroom, where you can explain the context of how the movie was made, and the guy who made it, who was not a great guy, who glorified these people and made black people look awful. Like, 
it's it's all very bad, but we shouldn't forget about it. And that's what the movie does is it it's a time capsule. Its purpose has changed from being the best movie because everyone liked the messages in it to being a good educational tool that everyone can learn from and everyone can see the horrors of the past so that we don't repeat them in the future. The fact is Breakfast at Tiffany's is just there to create a role model, a female role model who no longer serves as that. And yet girls still do it. You still see the posters. They still idolize Audrey Hepburn in that movie, even though she's a terrible person. And Mickey Rooney is the epitome of racism in the 1960s, which is a lot more recent than the 1950s, which is a lot harder to explain. It's a lot harder to explain how Mickey Rooney could have gotten away with that than what they got away with in 1915 in The Birth of a Nation. He's in the movie for a very short amount of time, and that's all. That's what people talk about today is, wow, he's the most racist character of all time with Birth of a Nation existing. All right, time. Uh, we'll go over to uh, Mr. Barr. One minute for your closing time begins when you start talking. The character of Holly Golightly is not meant to be a glorified character. We see she's actually designed to be a character where we're not supposed to be necessarily rooting for her. Uh, in fact, we're supposed to be shown what a person shouldn't be doing, but we connect to her because she realizes that she's not a good person. But we should erase the birth of a nation. It is a movie that glorifies the KKK and also glorifies the Confederacy of the South. When this movie came out, it revitalized the KKK. It was dead for several years, and it came back with a vengeance for a movie to be able to do that, and it's still shown at the KKK, and it is still influencing people today to join the KKK. That is a movie that has not aged well, and we should burn it to the ground for good. At least Breakfast at Tiffany's, if you take out the one bad character, it's actually an entertaining movie. And I have seen it, and I do still enjoy it, aside from that one bad character. Sorry, I gave it 10 seconds early. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, boy. What a, what a fight. Don't we just don't we love this uh, so much? <laughs> just, yeah, wow. Fun times. Uh, Brooklyn, you went last last time, so you'll be going first this time. Who are you voting for and why? Give me a second here. Uh, nope, you are good. I am doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm okay. sitting here well, trying to I, figure out who wins. Okay, well, I'm I'll, I'm good. Uh, I'm going to go with Nick. Um, Andrew, I think, didn't have enough substance. I think there was just uh, there was a lot of buzzwords, um, and especially especially in, in the closing, there were some things that I was looking looking for to be answered and didn't quite get answered. So. All right, Robert, where are you going and why? So this was a tough argument because I think both of these movies have aged poorly. Uh, Nick made the really interesting thing of, like, he, he framed the argument as, um, like, it, the purpose of it changing means that it hasn't aged poorly. I, I think Birth of a Nation has aged the most poorly because it's now used as an educational tool to vilify the past. Um, I didn't hear that counter from Barr. I think Nick played this really well as make it, you fight my fight. Uh, so I do have to go for Nick on this one. All right, so Nick will be winning the point. Uh, I also had Nick. Um, I think Nick contextualizing the fight at the beginning uh, was really smart to change the way that he had to face this fight. I think he did what he had to do. Um, and he went so hard at Breakfast at Tiffany's, and Barr went so hard at Birth of a Nation, but to defend a Birth of a Nation's, like, agingness uh, and change purpose better than Barr was able to defend Breakfast at Tiffany's. So, uh, Nick I, is getting the I point of that way. I just need to reiterate for my own 
Sanity for everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. The ideas of Breath of a Nation are fucking awful, and, yeah. and anyone who idealizes them is a piece of shit. So, yes, yeah. everyone we all agree racism is. No one on this call supports the Birth of a Nation or the views expressed in said <laughs> shitty yeah. film. And it's made in 1915. How good can a movie from 1915 be? All right, uh, we're gonna move on. <laughs> Mark. Uh, all right. Your last friend question comes in the uh well another franchise and what other set of movies that I watched The Wizarding World. Um and your question in the Wizarding World. What is the most useful spell in the Wizarding World? The most useful spell in the Wizarding World. Higgitus Figitus is something I tried to say is not actually Wizarding World spell. Uh to it, you'll be going first on this one. Uh one minute when you start talking. Well glad we're ending. Uh, the four rounds on this one and not the last one. But let me take this back. Okay. The spell I picked is a great spell. It's it's an amazing spell. It's used by Mad-Eye Moody in the, uh, or I'm sorry, Barty Cross Jr. disguises Mad-Eye Moody uh, in the Goblet of Fire. Uh, the name of the spell is Engorgia. He uses it to make a spider bigger so he can demonstrate um, spells on the spider. The question is, what's the most useful spell? Not what's the most useful spell in the Wizarding World, or in the Wizarding World like movies. The most useful spell is Engorgio. Imagine you're starving, and you find a crumb of food. Engorgio, you now have a meal for the next three days. Uh, imagine you're cold, and you have just enough to make a spark. Engorgio, you got a fire. Um, making things bigger uh, would solve a lot, um, especially if, if you as a person um, wanted to find the usefulness of this. If you have a small piece of gold in Gorgio, you know, have a large piece of gold and you have a lot more money. Um, the spell chosen by my opponent actually has laws in it. Um, and really only serves one purpose, but I'll let him talk about it and see him soon. As Tim said in the comments, it would greatly uh, solve my sex life. All right, we'll go over. Uh, to Mr. Barr, uh, one minute for your opening time because when you start talking, Tim, I love you. Alright, so I went with Accio. Accio is the summoning charm. It'll bring something to you. Uh, it basically just like if you say Accio and I wanted like, I wanted say the marker that's over there, I would say Accio and it would fly over and I would be able to have it. Uh, I think this is the most useful one because basically, uh, let's say you lost something in your room and you have to find it like immediately. Accio, oh look, here it is. I found, I found it, and I now I'm not in trouble anymore. With Engorgio, there it's got flaws as well. Uh, Nick said that there are flaws with mine. There are flaws with his, and some of them being very dangerous flaws. Uh, so I'm going to yield the rest of my time so we can get more into those flaws in this main match. Okay, so five minutes, freeform, debate, hit it. Um, so, uh, let's just get out in the open. Yes, it could make your sex life better, okay? I wasn't going to say it. I was going to save it till the end and be like, okay, everyone's thinking it, but there's so many other applications for Engorgio that are actually useful. Accio, guess what? Here's how you fix it. You stand up and you walk over and you go get the thing. Even in the movies when he uses Accio Fireball and Goblet of Fire, all he had to do was say, hey, Hermione, can you bring my broom to the to the thing and then just throw it to me? Boom, Accio not needed. So yes, it's convenient, but useful. As far as the most useful, there are so many other applications for Engorgia. 
Uh, she can't throw it to him. She's not allowed to help. Uh, also in Goblet of also in Goblet of Fire, uh, when they're at the graveyard and he's running away from Voldemort's army, uh, and he uses Accio to uh, get uh, get the portal. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't have reached it if it wasn't for Accio. So let's throw that uh, Goblet of Fire argument out of there. Uh, first of all, if you use Engorgio during for your sex, uh, you don't have a condom that big. Let's be honest. Uh, you're not going to be able to use that, uh, and it's going to be actually very dangerous for your partner. Uh, you talked about how uh, you can turn a spark into a fire uh, in the hands of the wrong person who doesn't know how to properly use it. That That is a raging fire that you just caused, uh, which is very dangerous. Um, you uh, turned the idea of turning a crumb into a meal. Uh, thank you for putting all the chefs out of work. Uh, they are no longer necessary in the world. Way to go, you. You just put hundreds of people out of a job. Um, and plus, Reducto counters that. There's a counter to yours, not mine. We're saying there's only one. Yes, there's a counter to yours. It's called I'm going to stand here and block the thing from getting to you. And guess what? Here's the danger. Accio knife. You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Gorgio... I'm sorry I solved the world hunger. My bad. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Akio, if there was food nearby, you can just use it and grab it. Um, there you go. Uh, well, you can stand up and walk and go get it. <laughs> yeah, but what if my legs are broken? What if, what if I'm underneath something and I need and I need to get something to help lift the thing? Oh, there's a jack over there? Akio, boom. Guardian Leviosa. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a completely different spell. There's that's the one the to thing. counter my spell. The one How does that counter that? No, no, no. Different spell. The fact is, yours is useful in making people more lazy because all they'd have to do is pre-plan or get up and go. Yours get teaches food. people not to cook. Good, it saves them from starving. <laughs> or if you have one drop of water left, in Gorgio, you have more. Look at Onward. If you run out of gas and you have one drop left, in Gorgio, you have gas now. You're, well, that's a completely different movie. Uh, we're going to strike that from the conversation. Yours actually has the potential for violent explosion. Yours can You can only uh, enlarge your items so much until it actually violently bursts. Now imagine that. If you accidentally do that, you're actually liable to get seriously hurt. Um, so don't do that is my answer to that. <laughs> but if you're an inexperienced wizard, the more like it's more likely to happen. Become experienced and don't do it. Like, uh, the fact is the benefits far outweigh the, the very specific potential threats that, that you're, you're listing. And, and you mentioned the movie. Yes. He uses Accio to, to get the, the port key. How many times are you going to come face to face with Voldemort and use Accio to get up in the wizarding world, it could definitely happen. Okay, but we're talking about real most useful spell in the wizarding world. Yes, right. That's what I'm. That's Unless what I'm saying. If Voldemort's in the wizarding world, he can happen. Unless your name's Harry Potter, it's not going to happen. I'm assuming. Oh, I'm sorry. All of the defenseless people that he just that Voldemort killed before Harry Potter. Oh, I didn't realize there was a port key right next to them every time. <laughs> But the pork, but what I'm saying is that Harry wouldn't have been able to reach that porky if he didn't use Accio. He's not going to use Engorgio like that to get him out of that kind of danger. Right. It's not about what's the most useful spell for Harry. It's the most useful spell. Right. And that's what I'm saying that Accio does. Engorgio actually puts you in risk. Accio doesn't necessarily do that. And it's the Even most if useful. How many times are you going to make something grow? Well, like, how many times are you going to do that? 
if you if you have a piece of bread and it gets down to a crumb and you engorge it, you get it down to another crumb and you make it. You could do it forever and never starve. And you once again, you just put hundreds of people out of jobs. You have not only taken the chefs out, you've taken the bakers out. You've taken the people who need to get those ingredients out. Way to go. You just tanked the Wizarding World economy. Well, luckily, those people don't need jobs anymore because they whoa! Can grow their own food. Whoa, whoa, here we go. They, they can make their own food. They, do. they don't need to pay for food. <laughs> you just happily put people out of work. How does that feel? I'm happy to put people out of the Wizarding World. You're worse I'm, than Voldemort. I'm happy to put people out of work if they'll serve <laughs> Because they can make their own food. <laughs> what the actual fuck is this fight? All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get to our closing arguments, starting uh, with Mr. Barr. Uh, one minute time begins when you start talking. You're going to use Akia more often than you're going to use Engorgio. How many times have you lost something? And, oh, where, where is that thing? I can't find it. And you spend 20 minutes looking for it, and it's under the refrigerator. Guess what? You have a spell now to help uh, take off 19 of those minutes by using Akio. That happens every day. Uh, let's say that you were leaving uh, like one office and going to another for an important meeting. Oh, I forgot my important binder, Accio. You're going to use this more often than you're going to use Engorgio. And uh, honestly, you're going to do it with less risk than Engorgio. Uh, and you're going to not put as many people out of business uh, with Accio. Um, whereas with Engorgio, it, it's actually kind of dangerous. The idea of turning that spark into a fire, uh, that's going to catch and just going to create chaos. Um, uh, and it has the potential for violent explosion. Let's say somebody that's in... You can be less inexperienced and use Accio safely. You can't do that with Engorgio. You're going to get hurt if you do it wrong. And you're going to use mine more often. All right. We're going to go over to Mr. Tuig. One minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking. The only example you gave of people getting hurt is if you try the fire thing. So but here's my advice. If you're not as experienced, don't try the fire thing. Don't find yourself in a, in a life-threatening experience. Okay. I will trade solving world hunger for the 19 minutes you, you take to find the thing under the fridge every time. Your spell can be rendered completely moot if you are just an organized person. If you are just on, on time and you keep things where they are and you know where things are, or if you're not lazy and you want to walk and get the remote instead of staying at you. The fact is, Bar looked at a screen rant list of most useful Harry Potter spells and just picked the first one. But in, in Gorgio is so much more useful for so many more things. If you run out of gas, you just need one drop and you use Gorgio, you have gas again. If you run out of water, you have one drop, you use Gorgio. Guess what? If those chefs or whatever go out of business, they can find another job, but they too can use Engorgio to pay for, they don't need to pay for food anymore. <laughs> that spell makes it so much more useful for them too. And guess what? We're all thinking it. You can use Engorgio in your sex life if you really want to. Just use it once and it won't get dangerous. I'm, I'm speechless. Um, all right. I take y'all out for a second and put you back in. There we Off go. the record, um, uh, you have the potential. I know, I know this won't count, but man, you have the option of blowing up your penis if you do that. So if you wanted to, I'm <laughs> no, I mean like exploding. Okay, <laughs> this will go down in the this will go down in the history of fights as the weirdest fucking fight in the history of fights. Well, <laughs> no, the second one, weirdest. No, Brian no, Michaels was worse. Nope. Right. The last one was weirder. 
<laughs> okay. And, uh, anyway, this has been fun. I'll going first. I'm voting for Andrew Barr. Uh, I think Barr uh, did sold me more on the many different uses and realistic scenarios in which I would need to use Accio and it'd be useful uh, and had a lot of actually valid points against Engorgio, uh, though doing sales pitch throughout this thing had me rolling. Uh, it was a great fight. Uh, Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, despite being personally attacked as a as a, as a culinary as a culinary worker, uh, the defamation of our industry being used to good name or bad name. I'm sorry. Uh, Nick won it for me. Uh, essentially, it was the concept of this makes you really lazy versus this is essentially uh, an indefinite resource. Um, and Nick's did a better job selling me on that. So. All right, so it'll come down to Mr. Uh, Parker, who's getting your point in what? Yeah, both useful things, because I would love to, like, I lose my car keys all the time. Would love to just accio them from under the fridge. Uh, but I, I do think that Nick argued Engorgio really well, solving world hunger and, like, not running out of gas and never going thirsty again. Yeah, I I think that those, those huge big idea, large scope things uh, are a little bit more applicable and a little bit more useful overall than finding something you lost, which would still be really, really helpful. Uh, but I think uh, Nick dove deep and came up with a winner. All right. Well, then that means your winner, Nick, the name to a score three to one. Congratulations, Nick. You have sunk the world economy single-handedly. Uh, all right. You bastard. Uh, <laughs> this, this was a really fun fight. Uh, we'll go to our winner today, Mr. Tuig. Uh, thoughts on the win? Uh, how are you feeling in this moment? This was a weird day, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm happy to have won. I'm a little confused how we got here. <laughs> um, but I'm happy this is where we arrived. Bar's, bar's great. Bar, bar's literally the best. One, at least one of those fights, if I was a judge, that went one of the points that went to me would have gone to Bar if I, if I was a judge. Um, he completely destroyed me on the second question. Like, like a minute into the, the five minute round, I was like, well, I'm just <laughs> I don't know what to do for the next four minutes. Um, so bar is great. Bar is awesome. Um, I'm excited to keep going. Um, and yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. Man. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Now with that win, uh, that moves you forward through to fan zone. Uh, you are potentially uh, facing uh, either uh, Brian uh, the McGuffin Michaels or Ryan uh, O'Regan. Which one would you rather be facing uh, on your next stop towards this title? Which one was the one who argued the leeches thing? Is that Brian? Uh, I believe that was Brian Michaels. I'm going to avoid that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Brian, please. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you hear that, Ryan? Beat Brian so Ted can fight you and not have to worry about leeches. Uh, we'll go over to our unfortunate loser today, Bar. Uh, you fought your heart out on many, many of those fights. Uh, how do you How do you feel about the way some of those rounds went? Um, man, I, I here's the thing. Nick is one of the smartest people in this league because I knew the one thing that you could argue against Birth of a Nation. I knew that there was the one thing, and I tried to like work my way into like figuring out how to counter that. Um, and Nick was smart enough to find what it was. Uh, so props to Nick. Um, the, uh, I'm just personally, I'm just glad that none of these decisions were like completely unanimous. It was split every single time. Um, it just means that we both did our job well. Um, and, uh, honestly, those last, uh, well, that last fight, uh, 
was so much fun. <laughs> like we both started pointing things that I don't think either one of us were thinking about. Um, <laughs> so I, I had fun, which is the most important thing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's always about fun in the end. Uh, and crashing the world economy and solving world hunger simultaneously. Uh, we'll go over to our judges today. Uh, Brooklyn, uh, th final thoughts on the fight Do you wrap this one up. Uh, well, I will fact check this. Uh, question three was a sweep for Nick. Um, but well, not in my heart. Okay. Well, I do realize uh, that Nick does a lot of good things. Uh, checks off a lot of things in my box, Giggity. First time I've actually ever actually seen him debate. Uh, and yeah, I was just, I was, I was impressed as to like how many things you do similar to myself. Um, and yeah, that, that just sort of draws to getting my vote. So. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and Robert, your thoughts on this whole shebang? It was a, certainly a shebang. Uh, it was a lovely shebang. 10 out of 10 would shebang again. Uh, absolutely. Life could be dreaming. Shebang, alanga, alanga. Look, this has been fun. This has been a bit of a train wreck uh, and a great time all around. Thank you so much for watching Fan Zone uh, Debates. For everyone here, that has been Tuik, that has been Barth, that has been Robert, that has been Brooklyn, I have been Caleb, and see y'all later, bitches. Drive safely. Or don't.